Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. I'm not going to whoop whoop this week. No whoop whoops, mate. No, I'm holding back. Are you all whooped out? I'm whoopy dooped out. (laughs) Hope everyone is well and um, has had a good week. And to all those in the UK, we are thinking of you guys still in lockdown. And to all those in Melbourne, we hope you are doing okay as well. Talking of Melbourne... Can we not t- can we not start this episode with how's your week been in because I feel like every time you ask me that I've got some drama happening can I just have a relatively normal non-eventful week please Sure is that too much to ask uh, <laughs> So talking of drama and eventful weeks how has your week been <laughs> <laughs> All right fine I'm Next episode, I'm going to have the most boring week that you're all going to fall asleep anyway. So I was in Melbourne for a week, tried to just have a bit of a break from Sydney. Ben was working there and um, we got sort of near to the end of our trip and another COVID spike happened and they went into a five-day snap lockdown. So that meant packing the car racing to the border and driving 10 hours into the middle of the night with a toddler. Mate, that is pretty intense. Race to the border. Seriously. So how long did it take you to get to the border? Um, to the border, I think it was about four hours. But ten hours with but a toddler then, in a car is bloody long. Uh, yeah. I mean, lots Wait. of iPad action, lots of Peppa Pig and Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Oh, my God. So you made it back in time. No lockdown at this end. Look, I got we got back just in time. Anyone that arrived after 11.59 across the border into New South Wales had to isolate for five days, but we just missed that. So that, that so was lucky. thankful. Otherwise, we wouldn't be together right now. Thank goodness, Im. Thank goodness you made yeah. it. Yeah. How are you, Sal? I'm good. I'm good. Is he? Yes. <laughs> I am. It's it's in a bit of a theme with our intros now. My life is super chaotic and dramatic and Sal is always busy. (laughs) Yes. Another busy week. Um, But So I actually finally settled on my mum's house. So listeners probably don't know this because I haven't really spoken about it openly on the podcast, but I've been selling my mum's house for... It's been, it was an eight month sale and it was pretty stressful trying to sell a house from overseas when you've never sold a house before. Um, and during a pandemic, it, yeah, it was, it was pretty stressful process. And, um, finally, um, we settled on uh, Friday. So that is done. And it's kind of brought up quite a lot of, you know, different mixed emotions because obviously, that's it. That's like the last physical kind of place that reminds me of my mum. It is gone. It's not hers anymore. You know, it's um, so kind of like an ending. The end. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it has been super, super stressful. Um, you know, it's been going on for a long time though, Sal. Like, yes, like an eight month sale. And because she died so suddenly, there were lots of documents that, 
I didn't have like she had a lot of work done on the house so that's kind of what delayed it because um you know we needed to get you know things from the local council and you know trying to phone them and wrangle people I've literally got like a two-hour window at night um you know to to contact the UK and it was just yeah just quite a process but I'm not sure I guess the lesson is patience that's probably what it's taught me um but I would always find that I'd literally be going to bed and I'd start like feeling really anxious about the house and like panicking and like so I had to really try and bring myself down but it would always be like at night because I think that's when I had time to like you know I wasn't thinking about work stuff and other things I'd start kind of you know getting really anxious around the house so so yeah so that was that's been a quite a big win but it has definitely brought up a lot of emotions and I'm sure there's probably quite a lot of listeners that have had to go through a similar, you know, a similar thing of selling a parent's house. And, you know, it's kind of like the final sort of final thing of hers. And it's it's gone now. Um, so. So, yeah. So that was quite big, big news from my end yeah. um, last week. Huge news. Hmm. Talking of keeping busy, shall we talk about today's guest? Yes. I'm really excited to share this episode. Me uh, too. We have the wonderful Joe Betts. What a woman. Don't know if you guys have come across Joe Betts before, but she is a quite an extraordinary woman. Um, she's a widow. She lost her husband Craig totally unexpectedly. He had an asthma attack in the middle of the night and sadly passed away after the paramedic spent a couple of hours, you know, trying to resuscitate him and keep him alive. An incredibly traumatic story, but we were left, you know, just feeling so inspired by her and how she's used what's happened to her to give grief a voice, which we obviously, you know, we advocate for that as well. It's so important to help other people feel less alone by sharing our stories. And she's just an incredible woman. She really is. Very lucky to have connected with her. So we're very excited to share her with you all as well. It's quite a deep chat. We really, we really go there with Jo and she talks about how she kept really busy um, and it was a coping mechanism for her grief and I actually really that really resonated with me we're quite similar in that regard I think you are definitely and one thing that I really took away like obviously I'm coming up to the one-year anniversary of my mum and Jo talks about how once she hit the one-year anniversary after losing Craig she just felt still felt awful and it's kind of like it's exactly where I'm at now. And it's like you think you do all of this work to try and get get over your grief or try and get through it. And you think, you know, at the end you're going to graduate and you get there and it's you still feel really crap. Mm. And so hearing that made me feel, you know, made me feel a lot better knowing that that's all normal. Definitely. And we've had quite a few listeners contact us and say, you know, I found that the one year or two year mark actually felt like I sort of it hit me then and that's what happened to joe she you know that first year she kept going she was really positive she was really social and then yeah the one year mark she was like i really feel this um and i think that's quite common and i think a lot of people have experienced the same thing so hopefully this chat will resonate with a lot of you um and she's just such a brave woman you know to have lost your husband all of a sudden, one night, just like in a flash, your life, her life just completely changed, you know, and just she became overnight. a widow and a single mum in the blink of an eye. So, yeah, we hope that you guys get a lot out of this chat. We definitely did. Without further ado, shall we bring Jo in? Let's get her on. Hello. Hey, Jo. Hey, Jo. I was just like, have I got it right? Is everything set up? I'm I'm all good. How are you ladies? Good. How are you? 
not too bad. It is raining and pouring down here. So I feel like really um, good grief-like moody weather. Well, it's so nice to finally connect with you. We've obviously been connecting on Instagram and kind of been chatting for a while and we've been following your incredible work in the grief space for quite some time. So it's great to be able to finally talk to you and to hear your story. Absolutely. I can't wait to share, but also like you ladies are doing such a good job. Oh, thank you. We love, Joe, that, you know, you're so passionate about giving grief a voice and, you know, that's what obviously we're trying to do as well. It's such an important thing to do and, you know, by sharing your story and I hope to help others is just such a wonderful thing that you're doing. So we yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, as both of you have experienced, I think it is just um, that particular topic until you find yourself in it and suddenly in this whole new kind of world and trying to navigate this new landscape and I think it's become that really important thing of sharing your story sharing your voice um, and your experiences with it absolutely and until you're in it or until you've experienced you know a big loss you don't really realize how much we don't talk about it as a society you know it's one of those things that you might not really think about and then you're in it and you're like oh this we really need to start giving grief a voice here yeah, absolutely. And look, I am the first to put my hand up and say like, I, well, I probably feel incredibly lucky, but I haven't really experienced any big kind of loss or grief-like kind of um, experience in my life. So I just had absolutely no idea what it really meant and what I was kind of contending with as well. It's so true. It's so true. Because you just, yeah, you just don't know what it's like and what you're going to be up against until you're no. in that moment. Absolutely. So, Joe, before we dive into your story, can you tell yeah. us like a little bit more about yourself and also how you met your husband, Craig, who we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I guess there's a few kind of layers to me from kind of a career. I sort of probably look at my life from a career and kind of personal um, perspective. But look, I, you know, had a pretty ordinary, normal sort of upbringing. I grew up um, in a little town called Bannockburn, a country sort of um town outside of Geelong, just his mum, dad, had an older brother, younger sister, and a pretty idyllic kind of childhood, I guess. Um, I went to university and studied teaching, but in saying that, I didn't come out of university as a teacher, so I'm pretty sure I just studied the uni and nightlife more than anything else. (laughs) So I I returned back home, and um, I went to probably one of Geelong's worst nightclubs one evening and at about 3am in the morning met this guy called Craig and um, it's so funny because I think I would, I'd obviously had quite a few drinks and I was yeah just standing around a bar and this guy walked up to me and said um, will you marry me and you know at 3am in the morning and after you've had quite a bit of champagne to drink I naturally was like yeah of course. <laughs> So the funny thing is we did actually end up getting married. I mean, obviously not that night, so but before that we um yeah, we just connected right away, Craig and I. It's really interesting because we both couldn't have been more opposite from one another. He was this kind of grass tough, you know, guy that was into like snowboarding, surfing, extreme sports and things like that, and I was probably the kind of girl that you know, likes reading books and hanging out with friends and having a glass of champagne. So we were very different, but we, yeah, certainly connected right away. And, um, yeah, essentially he then went on a trip overseas um, for a period of time, you know, not long after we'd met. And we just missed each other so much that I ended up flying across 
to London to meet up with him and we lived there for almost, yeah, three years and travelled and partied and had a great time together and then returned back home to Melbourne and we soon became, yeah, engaged and, you know, started planning our wedding and then, you know, during that time I actually decided to um, study to become a wedding celebrant. So, that was a kind of little business that I'd set up on the side, you know, whilst I was going through my own love story with Craig. And um, I think now I've probably initiated almost over 500 kind of ceremonies. So oh, wow. quite a big, yeah, quite, quite a big part of my life. And um, yeah. yeah, once Craig and I were married, you know, soon enough we decided that we thought we might have a baby and we were incredibly lucky in that I fell pregnant quite quickly. And um had a gorgeous girl in 2013. Her name is Heidi. And, um, yeah, Craig was just such a beautiful and doting father. And in that, I then set up another wedding business. So I run a wedding blog slash directory called Ivory Tribe, which just, yeah, you know, helps people source suppliers and, um, I guess helps brides and grooms plan their, their one big day. So I'm quite heavily immersed in the wedding, yeah. wedding scene. I feel like I've heard of Ivory Tribe because I feel like I, I may have yeah. come across it when I was getting married a few years ago potentially potentially so yeah look you know I guess within sort of you know working in the wedding space um you know have my beautiful husband Craig beautiful little girl Heidi and I guess on the surface of it at all you look at it and kind of go like life was good it was going in the direction that I imagined it would go and I just kind of naturally assumed that Craig Heidi and I would have this like long and happy life together and yeah I guess I guess that's what I presumed, um, but got it quite wrong. So. Yeah, so you were sort of living the dream, I suppose, you know. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, look, I you, you kind of look at it and go, of course we had our challenges in the sense that, you know, I found it really tough juggling things like work and being a mum and, and being a good wife and, um, you know, making sure that I prioritised our relationship too. And I think, I think I was always juggling with that and certainly had challenges with that at times, but you know, I just kind of put it down to that's a bit, you know, how life pans out sometimes. And But at the core of it, you know, very much in love with my husband and, yeah, living a beautiful life together. You know, obviously see you on Instagram and your daughter is absolutely gorgeous. She's Her name's so Heidi, gorgeous. isn't it? So she is just such <laughs> yeah. a mini you. Can I just say, like, <laughs> she looks exactly like you. She's so, so Absolute spit. I- I do say I'm like it's a bit of a worry I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing and obviously we spend a lot of time together so I'm wondering whether she's starting to morph into me a little bit too bad she's absolutely gorgeous oh I love that and Joe, in in one evening your life changed dramatically didn't it so you went from being happily married you know to a single mum and a widow in a matter of moments Ah, oh, and look, I mean, I've listened to both of you girls share your stories about losing um, your mums and the sudden and unexpected nature of it. And I just, there's something about a sudden death that is, yeah, it's just all, you know, kind of consuming in that it really does come out of nowhere. And I guess to describe a little bit mm-hmm. about what happened to me, and I'm not sure whether you girls can relate, like I often think to the day that it happened and how ordinary that day was that I had no like signs or signals that anything was going to happen so you know I just went about my work day as normal got home had dinner with Craig um we 
did do something a little, not slightly out of the ordinary, but, um, you know, if anyone with young children would know. So Heidi, I think, was just turned four at the time and she was sneaking into our bed each night and had been doing for a very long period of time, but we had recently moved house. And I think Craig and I decided we were going to be a little bit firmer on Heidi and say that she started to, needed to start sleeping in her own bed. So that particular week, we decided to pay her $1 per night if she could sleep in her own bed. And I think we'd got to Wednesday night. She still hadn't made any money. Oh, <laughs> bribery. Love yeah. a bit of that bribery. So, Quite a good yeah, potential so business we were, venture for her there. <laughs> so we were trying our hardest to do that. But this particular evening, and I think because I'd worked quite hard that day, um, I just remember Heidi saying to me, can I sleep one last night in the bed with Daddy? Not even meaning me, but with daddy and I kind of didn't put up a fight I just really relented and said yeah sure Heidi like you can and I'd been recovering from a pretty bad flu you know a couple of weeks prior and I think I was exhausted and I just said to Craig do you know what and I'm going to make the call why don't I put Heidi in bed with you and I'm going to sleep in Heidi's bed for the night just to get a good night's sleep and something I hadn't really done before but yeah an interesting kind of call to make when you when you reflect on it now and so yeah I you know put Heidi into bed Craig and I watched the TV gave him a hug said I love you and off I went into Heidi's room and and went off into a really deep sleep which is quite weird for me because I'm not the best sleeper and certainly after the loss of Craig I'm I'm definitely far worse and I know a lot of people who agree with you have probably experienced that too so I was in yeah a really deep sleep when at around 2.30 in the morning, just heard this almighty crash through Heidi's bedroom door. And I just remember like sitting up, bolt right, and, and just seeing Craig standing in the doorway, almost like with his arms up against the frame and just saying to me, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Now, oh, how I guess about oh, absolutely terrifying. And I think it, you straight away have gone into this, like fight or flight mode um, because you, your nervous system automatically kind of switched on. You've gone from, you know, being in a pretty innocent state of sleep to being thrown. The adrenaline into, pumping. Yeah, sure. straight yeah. into an emergency. And um, Craig had been an asthmatic in all the time that we'd been together, which was almost 12 years. But I'd never in that time seen him have an attack. So certainly he used ventilin and things like that too. And, and I'm, I don't know much about asthma. I've never had it myself. And probably never quite knew the seriousness of the nature of it. But as soon as I looked at him, I thought this must be an asthma attack. And he quickly, you know, made his way down back to our bedroom, which had an ensuite. And I got straight on the phone to, to Triple O. But I, it, it's almost hard to describe because there was no, like, even build-up as in me kind of looking at Craig and thinking, okay, you know, he's just he's struggling to breathe a little bit like he literally could not breathe from the get-go so I'm straight on the phone to Triple O and um, you know she's asking me questions about what Craig looks like and what's kind of going on and um, I'm saying to her like he's bright red he's bright red he can't breathe he can't breathe and um, within sort of I think about a, a minute or so she just asked me once again you know had there been any change in colour in his face and I remember at this point he was just hovered over our toilet for some reason just trying to get air into his lungs almost like with one arm up against our shower recess another arm up against our wall and I just looked at his face and it's like he just turned blue in an instant and his eyes started to roll and 
he just oh, collapsed. Joe. And yeah, so I'm, you know, naturally completely panicked and in an absolute state and trying to describe to the operator what's happened. And she says to me, right, well, you're going to have to get him onto the ground and we're going to have to start CPR. And, you know, at this point, you're going, shit, like, when I, I did a first aid course when I was probably 18. Like, I, I don't it know. It goes what out I'm the doing. window. Yeah. There's absolutely no way when you're in that moment. To know There's what nothing. to do or to be able to concentrate. It's- and I imagine you must have felt like it was like an out-of-body experience, you know, what the hell is going on, you know. It's oh, like a, you're in totally, a state of shock. Yeah. Totally out of body and also starting to realise, like, even your physical limitations. She's saying to me, you better get this guy onto the ground. Now, I'm pretty small stature. I probably weigh, like, 55 kilos. My husband at this time probably weighed about 100 kilos. So the physical limitations I had in even trying to get him onto the ground and lift, you know, what I mean, I was like, but essentially a dead weight um, and get him down and, you know, trying to listen to the operator and already almost like 10 steps ahead but are thinking things like, God, the ambulance has got to get here soon. So at some point I actually dashed off to open up our front door and, um so I guess allow the, you know, the ambulance um, or paramedics to be able to have easy access to our house. And as I've come back in to go back to Craig, I've looked at our bed and I couldn't see Heidi in it. So automatically, oh, I'm, you know, no. I've, got a, I've got my husband on the ground, you know, essentially, yeah, having this huge asthma attack and not breathing. I don't know where my daughter is. And at the same time, I've got an operator saying to me, right, we need to start um, – yeah, you need to start working on him and, and doing 30 compressions. and So much going on in that moment. So much going on and just so much like I, I've i never felt so out of my depth than in that moment. I just I felt like I was up against it the entire time, you know, and when I was saying sort of things like, you know, it's trying to get him down onto the ground, I then somehow got his head lodged under our vanity which had a gap underneath it and so when the – lady has said to me right now you need to do um you know breaths into his mouth I'm like oh my god his head's stuck so I've had to get up in the new room again at at the same time my mind's going where on earth is my daughter Um, and I'm screaming at the operator saying like I don't know where my daughter is and she's saying just concentrate you've got to get these compressions going but my mind's thinking well has she walked out onto the street is she cowering somewhere yeah. In our lounge room. And as and a mum, get... you know, instinctively, <sighs> it's just, you, yeah, I can completely understand how your mind was going there in that yeah, moment as you well. you must have been split between what do you do, you know. Yeah. Uh, and also worrying, what if she walks in? Like mm. I, the state of what was going on, I just thought, I cannot, I don't think I can have her see this. And so your brain's going, I've got the operator, you know, I just remember being incredibly frustrated with her because She's asking me to do 30 compressions, but she was counting by four. And so, you know, we'd go like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And I might do three lots of four, lose count or have no idea where we're at, panic, start yelling at her and then completely lose track of what I was doing. Like I just, I really felt up against it and, and so alone as well when I kept saying to her, you know, when are they coming? Like, I, I need help and I need help now. And she just, I don't know whether there's some kind of policies and they can't give you time frames, but she just said, like, lights and sirens, they're on their way. And at this point, you are just in the most desperate mode of your life and you're thinking, I, like, I need this help 
It must have right felt now. like hours between. Yeah, hours. And yeah. so I think it ended up being about 20 to 25 minutes that I had to work on Craig. Which is a long time. That is a long time. Why did they take so long? So we had actually just moved out of Geelong um, where I'd grown up. So it's about 20 minutes away. And and I I don't actually know what happened there. I'm not sure whether perhaps their dispatch and ambulance initially realised the seriousness of what had happened, what was going on. And and, um, got a Micah out instead, who I think is the most qualified paramedic to have on the scene but yeah I look like to be honest I, I'm not sure and I don't know how I was left in that state for so long because it did it felt like hours but eventually this man kind of you know walked into the bathroom and I just remember having this immense sense of relief but at the same time he's saying to me right well we've got to move him from the bathroom we need to get him onto your bedroom floor and so next minute you know where I'm thinking hopefully I've clocked off from here and I can start to process what's going on he's like Right, grab him by the legs. I've got him by the arms. We're shifting him, and I just was saying to him, I, "I need to find my daughter." At the same time, and he's like, "Okay, you go and do that." And so I searched around the house, but thankfully came back into the bedroom. And what I hadn't realised was that Craig, obviously in his state of panic and not being able to breathe, had actually um, just yeah had opened up obviously the covers and pushed them over, and it, it had covered Heidi, and so she was in the bed the entire time. And she absolutely was fast asleep. asleep. Fast wow. asleep and missed it all. So, you know, in that frantic nature of having a paramedic with me, I'm picking her up and trying to get her into her bed and um, make sure that she stays asleep, which thankfully she did through that transition. But then another three paramedics arrived at home and you're just in this really weird state of going, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Like, what's my role? Am I supposed to be down there helping them? Do I wail about like and you you yeah. you know your brain and body's going a million miles kind of an hour and I just remember I sort of popped my head in to see them working on Craig and they just said to me oh no no you need to go and sit um you need to go and sit in the kitchen on your own and keep away from here and so I'm always when I do what I'm told so so off I went and sat in my kitchen and I had no you know in all of that my phone had um kind of got like locked in the bathroom or something so I just sat in my kitchen just going what the hell is happening and what has just gone on over that last 25 minutes to 30 minutes that and your brain's just starting to think all these things I'm like you know he's had an asthma attack you know has he died has he if he hasn't died I know that he hasn't been breathing for 20 to 25 minutes so what does that What's the mean for it? and you just you're starting to think ahead and I, I do remember sort of at one point kind of going like well whatever it is you just gotta have to deal with it like I, whatever the outcome is is not great but you're just gonna have to do it so like it and I, I think I do I was in this real fight kind of mode and Eventually, a paramedic came down and said to me, like, you need to call someone. You need to call someone that lives close by. I said, well, my mum, my dad, you know, live not too far away. I said, but I don't have my phone. Like, I've lost it somewhere. So he found it for me, you know, tried to ring mum and dad. I think it was the third time they eventually answered and said, yeah, you need to get over here. Craig's had an asthma attack and it's not good. Like, it's not looking good. So I think about 10 minutes later... My mum arrived um, 
and same thing. You just you just sitting there like going, I I don't know what to do right now, but probably best not to disturb the paramedics and leave them to do their job. And um, I felt I felt like in hindsight, I'm like I think that they were probably giving me some little warnings that the outcome was not going to be good because I know he came down, um, the first paramedic on the scene came down and just said to me, like, look, I just want to let you know once again, like, it's not looking good. Um, we've been working on him for over an hour and we're going to give it five more minutes. But it's and so shocking that I'm sure that you're still holding on to hope at that moment that uh, it cannot yeah. be the reality. And so you're just, and I think it's still, like, I think I'm still stunned. Like, it just kind of went, okay, like, you know, thanks for that. So off, off he went and, yeah, sure enough, five minutes later, he just came out and said to me, like, look, we've done everything we could possibly do. We've tried adrenaline, we've tried paddles, we've, we've got nothing. We have nothing for the moment that we arrived. And, yeah, I'm sorry to say um, Craig died. Oh, Joe. So and sorry, Joe. So sorry. Incredibly oh, pretty... traumatic. For, yeah, it's such a traumatic thing for you to go through. Yeah. So incredibly traumatic and such a deep, deep shock for you as well. Absolutely. And look, it's, I, you know, I have this real empathy, I guess, for people who have been through like traumatic events, particularly, I guess, around a death, but just even in life, because I, I think, you know, I now realize the huge impact that has on your life going forward and what that experience is like and some of the emotions and feelings that come from that. I don't know, even talking to my psychologist more recently, which is like, you know, you're not just suffering from grief, it's traumatic grief at the same time. And yeah, it's, you know, I know I was listening to your story, Imogen, it's, it's a hard burden to bear in that sense. And um yeah, look, it, it, it's one of those things I just remember, you know, after they declared Craig dead, just having this huge feeling of absolute defeat and then just kind of thinking, God, like, how do you how do you build your life back together after something like this? Like, I'm not sure how I can do this and whether I can and... You know, the, the days, the weeks and months that kind of follow an experience like that are, yeah, some of the hardest and most grueling times I've, I've ever experienced. I was having this chat with Sal the other day, Joe, and basically, you know, trying to work out how we can describe what the experience is like of losing someone you love suddenly. And yes. it, it's almost as if your whole world and your whole being just shatters into you know thousands of pieces onto the ground and then you know those periods after that we just almost have to just pick up every little piece and try and put ourselves back together and Mm -hmm. I don't think that we're ever going to be the same and you know it's we're always going to be a little fractured and broken and there's going to be bits still missing but it is it just shatters everything that you once knew about the world about Ah. your own life about reality like it's just it's mind-boggling isn't it and you're navigating life from a completely different viewpoint after a a sudden death absolutely and it's so funny when you say that about the shattering I've often described it as though it was almost like you know when you see toddlers playing with toys and they might be like building up blocks into some kind of castle it's like having the naughty toddler that comes along and 
smashes it all up into pieces like right before your very eyes. And I have a toddler so I can completely understand. And I feel like they almost then turn around and go, there, now put that back together. It's a good and analogy. <laughs> you kind of like, and that's, that's what it felt like. I, I feel exactly the same. It felt like every aspect of my life had been impacted by this event and this death and I, I really didn't know how I was going to get through it and how I was going to put those building blocks back together. And I think you're incredibly right as in you're not the same person and you definitely come from a different perspective after experiencing something so huge um, in your life. And when you lose a spouse as well, obviously Sal and I have lost our mum, so we cannot relate to that aspect of it. But I can imagine you're losing your present, you know, you're losing the foundation of what you know and everything changes. Yeah, and it it, it was. I mean, for me, in those weeks following, like everything changed, you know. I'd gone from being a, a wife to now no longer having a husband, you know. I'd gone from being a mother to a single mother, I'd lost, like, my best friend, my confidence. I'd lost, like, even, you know, that financial support. So you're already going, shit, like, how how am I going to bring up this child on my own for the next 18 years financially and emotionally as well? Like, it, it just, you know, even I, I had to move out of the place that we were living in because I couldn't afford it. So I had to go back to my parents for almost nine or ten months and it just felt like... <laughs> nothing remains of my old life big changes and it's very different I guess Im and I lost our mums suddenly but you know we had Mm. our lives independent of our mums but when it's your spouse you know you've built that life together and everything just changes like yeah everything changes and even I was probably just thinking then I'm like and you lose that future so you know any Mm. plans to have other kids or um you know I remember that dawning on me or like you know day two or something and going oh god like I will you know never be able to give Heidi like a full brother or sister I mean the world works in, in funny ways it's not to say oh that's too old for it now but you know that you wouldn't have another child but I'm like I can't actually give to her a full brother or sister like those things have taken away any you know chance of retirement with Craig or anything yeah has, has just gone and, and you, so you're you grieve right. for those things as well. You grieve for those things that you won't have, I imagine. Absolutely. You know, like... and I, yeah, and I think it hits you at different stages. I mean, I've certainly found that with my grief journey that, um, yeah, you, you hit different phases of grief. So I've, you know, certainly hit spaces where I have felt like, oh, God, like, you know, that loss of being able to have another baby with him. I've, yeah, I've had to grieve that, the, grieve the loss of my marriage essentially and it's and it's really interesting because I know I was having conversation with my psychologist more recently and we're we're looking at a bit more of trauma work for me at the moment and she just said to me she was really honest and and it you know really hit me emotionally when she said that but I just feel like it's what happened to you that evening she's like not only did you lose Craig you lost your marriage and you lost a little bit of yourself that night and I thought, God, I think you're right. And I'm not sure exactly what it is that I feel like I've lost in myself, but I certainly know I'm a very changed person. And I'm sure those things sort of would have been unfolding as as the months went on. Like I'm sure you didn't have the brain capacity to kind of realise the magnitude of the loss 
after it had just happened. Like I'm sure little bits, you know, you'd have these realisations of, of the reality. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know, um, I wonder whether it's the traumatic experience that, you know, I think, I'm not sure the loss of Craig has actually fully hit me or ever, ever will. And I'm not sure if it's because it was an unexpected death or what I actually experienced that night, which is, I guess, perhaps impacted my brain and my body quite a lot. But I feel like my brain only gives me little bits and pieces to, to handle and to cope with at any one time because I think if I ever perhaps fully comprehended what had happened in one go, I'm not sure I'd actually be functioning. Uh, we, can, um, we can relate to that totally. Yeah. Um, sometimes we, we've both had a discussion before, like sometimes we feel like we know it's happened and we, you know, we felt it and we feel grief, but then also there, you know, we felt the pain, but then sometimes we feel quite numb and also like don't like it's like we don't register that it's happened it's like we don't believe it you know but but you know it's happened but it's almost like you're like is it going to hit me is something going to come at me and 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 this actually what I think is grief isn't grief it's just the tip of the iceberg and am I just going to get slammed with all of these emotions these feelings but I think you're right it is your body's way of like sort of protecting protecting you but can absolutely relate to that um you're like yeah yeah are you ever going to feel the depths of the pain or you know have you felt it it's it's quite a you just don't know with grief do you no and I and I do it's almost like you're playing a bit of a, a game that where you're you know at times feel like you're in control of it or you know leading a good joyful kind of life only to have this you know everything ripped out from underneath you as you perhaps are I guess exploring another aspect of your grief so I even know like last year with um you know the first round of I guess COVID kind of lockdown and I almost like lost my mind like (laughs) I was not coping at all and I had this you know really strange I knew I knew I wasn't coping mentally as in I was very anxious and just a bit all over the place because I think the world had become rocky again and you know for you girls you know as well where it's like when you something so suddenly you know has been taken away from you it's almost like you can't quite trust the world again and so whenever anything seems a little bit rocky I know I tend to spiral yes (laughs) absolutely into another mental kind of state. So this was happening to me and um, I remember I'd, I'd got up one morning and, you know, scrolling through Instagram and a woman that I know had shared this like, incredible video of her mum who has since passed away from cancer. Um, her daughter had organised for like 200 people to go to her, you know, dying mother's front yard and they did like a flash mob dance. So it was like 200 of them. It's the most beautiful video and I was like, oh, my goodness, like look at the woman you know, sitting there, like, loving that her daughter and all her loved ones have done this for her and, you know, started to naturally kind of have a bit of a cry. Put my phone down, went to the bathroom, and I had just, like, this huge wave of, like, anger come over me. And I and I started to, like, sob so hard. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what, like, what is going on with me? And, you know, kept crying. I'm, I'm not a massive crier in my grief, I must admit. Like, I... I kind of feel like you know there's probably been maybe a handful of days for me where I've really cried and cried and cried um and you know the tears just kept coming and I just remember I had this like whole 
other thought where all of a sudden it, it's like it hit me out of nowhere that I went, I'm angry because I've seen this video and now I'm realising the way in which my husband died. I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to him in the way I would have liked to. And so, look, Craig would have literally died if I ever did a flash mob for him. But I was just like, <laughs> you know, I think that those kind of opportunities have been taken away from us with the sudden nature of the death. And, and obviously it was another aspect of my grief that I just hadn't explored or hadn't hit me at that point of time. And I was incredibly upset by that for, for days. Like I, I really struggled with it over those yeah, coming days of kind of going, you know, why am I feeling this way? What happens? And It's unfair. Realizing, like, it is fucking yeah, unfair. It's, it's like, why didn't unfair. we get that? You know, why couldn't we do a bloody flash mob for our whole time? Know, it's and, just... I kept, and I kept saying, I was like, what would I do? And I had the same thing. I had this chat with my psychologist that said to me, and I actually got a real shock when I said this. So, to, you know, I'm at the psychologist's office once again, pouring my heart out like it's just so unfair I'm so angry about it and she said to me no like it is like she was incredible in that way but then said to me all right well let's sit down she goes, so what is it that you wanted to say to him like what did you want to do and I said to her I said well suddenly enough Craig knew I loved him so I don't think that there's anything I really had to say to him in that respect but I just wish I'd had the chance to have him tell me that it was all going to be okay and it's still, it's really interesting that I find that's what I was looking for from him and I, and I guess really has made me realise like how important he was to me from a support perspective that I just wanted his reassurance in that dying moment that I could do it and that I was going to be okay. Um so this is what grief does to you. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I yeah. I wanted the exact same thing from my mum. Yeah. I just wanted to let me know that it was going to be okay. And I didn't, yeah, it's just that just that one simple thing. Just tell us, you know, are we going to get yeah. through this? You know, are you going to be gonna... there helping us, guiding us somehow? It's just that one little thing. Isn't it interesting? Yeah, it's really fascinating because I always thought that I'd, I'd want it to be like it's where I just sat there and said, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, I think. But then I took when you take that backwards step, I was like, well, he knew that. He knew all of that. I just, yeah, wanted that, that reassurance from him. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is funny because I go, like, that didn't hit me until, what, a year ago. So, like, almost two and a half years into the journey that I have that realization all of a sudden. So, it is just like that where that grief comes out of nowhere and can come out in so many different forms and ways. And Joe, you have spoken quite openly about how you coped after Craig's death by keeping super busy. And that's something that I can really relate to because when my mum died, I had to fly back to the UK and I literally had to do everything. I had to organise a funeral, like close all of her bank accounts, clear her house, tell everyone, sort everything out. Put, you know, and, and, and I know that it was very similar for you and it's a, you know, yeah. people don't realise the amount of admin and things that are involved when someone dies. I think they think that you're just going to be sitting around, you know, crying and feeling really upset, but actually it's, it can be one of the busiest periods of your life after losing someone that you love. And, yeah. and, and so, yeah, I, how did you, so you were really busy. That was your coping mechanism. And then did it hit you all of a sudden after a few months or talk us through those kind of initial months and, and how you Yeah, coped? look, 
Um, definitely, Sally. I feel exactly the same. Like it was, it was chaotic that first couple of weeks to, to maybe even the first month. Because you're right, there is so much admin to be doing, whether it's funeral planning, whether it's, um, you know, even for me, I guess it would be things like, you know, did Craig have a will? We need to go and see a lawyer, or all that yeah, sort of all stuff. That stuff. It's, it's happening, and um, yeah, it's it's interesting because, I, and I still can't believe I did this. So I went back to work to do to perform weddings I think five weeks later which oh, wow. I now reflect on it and go oh my god I had obviously lost it and I'm not sure how I did it but I wonder and I don't know whether you feel the same Sally that perhaps it was I felt like I'd lost so much control over my life that you know from living arrangements parenting um finances you know and and just, yeah, over control perhaps over my emotions and things too. That the one thing I could control was work. And I think that's why I kind of threw myself back into, into it. weddings because you- I thought if I can just control this, maybe it'll give me some sense of stability. Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that, Joe. And it's a bit of a reprieve from it all as well. Um, yes. I. I went back to work two months after mum passed away, so a month back in the UK and then a month here in yeah. Oz. But I, I went back to work and I was firing on all cylinders. <laughs> like, it was weird. I was like, it was probably like the best the, like like the best performance I'd had so at weird. work. Yeah, I, like I remember <laughs> we had like, it was really busy and I was just punching through it and I was on fire and I was like, even surprised myself. Wow. But I think it was like some sort of like, yeah, control and coping well, mechanism. I think it's control, I think it's coping and I think um, when you're dealing with a huge shock, I think it's either you kind of go to fight, flight or freeze and yeah. Sally, you might say I go into fight mode but almost mm-hmm. superhuman life. So here yes. I am with a smile past on my face fronting up to people's wedding statues and like it all went beautifully. It was brilliant but they must have thought I'd absolutely lost my mind Um, weddings as well it's not like you're you know I was working in PR like doing PR things which you know has nothing really to do with you know what happened to me but whereas weddings is like you know you've lost your husband yeah but I think I was also perhaps a bit panicked going I don't get back into this maybe I'll never and there's my career oh my god that's me I'm literally still I'm still haven't gone back to work it's been so long and I'm like i can't work again. This is it. Mean no. this is me now. <laughs> it's fucking scary though. But you're so right. Like it starts to become yeah. an overwhelming thought to go back into. Like I, yeah, it's frightening. And absolutely, like I definitely, you know, and probably was thinking financially too. I was like, shit, I'm a single mother now. If I start saying no to this work, how do I do it? So there were so many layers to it. But I do also think. Um, I am a, a fighter and I just kind of go, go, go. But certainly I do remember about three months in, yeah, it started to hit me. And I don't know whether that's, you know, a sense of like the adrenaline starts to wear out a bit or you, I don't know, the reality starts to sink in a little bit more. But I remember certainly, um, yeah, actually going to a, a meeting once for clients and it, and it was really hard because I didn't know if they knew my husband had died because they'd flown in from Singapore. And so I was just trying to navigate a conversation um, where I didn't really want to talk about it because I wasn't feeling emotionally equipped to deal with it that day. But the, the, I guess the strain on my brain was so huge that by the time I'd got home, my whole ear 
had like locked over and I suffer a lot physically with grief versus I think mentally sometimes and I just remember like yes starting to spiral a bit that that week and um yeah feeling so low and so flat and having yeah really hit me that kind of few months in um and then I feel probably much the same as we discussed a little bit before it's almost like I kind of get my energy back go into fight mode (laughs) again and then maybe something else will hit me a few months later um so it's yeah I find it interesting I mean maybe my default is I think it is the control kind of aspect of things is I keep myself busy and I'm just sort of yeah trying to get myself back out there but certainly I think the big hit for me was probably one year into it where I don't know I think after Craig had died I was still in so much shock that I think I thought that I was on like some game show like some some, like survivor sort of like tv show Mm. where I thought that if I just do all the right things then maybe I'll get to the end of year one and maybe someone will give me some kind of award and say well done Joe like you did it you got through yeah yeah. You did it. So I remember, like, I really did. I put the game face on. I was back at work. Oh, my God. Like, I turned up every social event with a big, like, smile plastered on my face. So whatever. Yeah. It was kind of like I was like, you know what? Grief gets stuff. I'm going to give this red-hot crack at trying to, to solve this. And, you want to beat it, it don't you? It's like, I want <laughs> totally. to get rid of it. Yeah, that was a game show. Beat the grief. Beat the grief. Failing at that one. (laughs) It's such a yucky, uncomfortable, messy feeling. And so I was just, yeah, same thing going, you know what? If I just do all the right things, maybe I'll get a reprieve, some kind of award. And I, you know, went off and did, you know, the first year anniversary. And I I went to Byron Bay, which is the last place that Craig and I had had a family for the holidays together. And my sister came with her husband and a couple of other friends. You know, I handled the day really well. Um, and then a few days later, I just fell in this exhaust fatigue heap. And I remember like lying in bed and just going, oh my God, like it's still the same shit. <laughs> I, I didn't get an award at mm-hmm. the end of the year one. Like I'm still dealing with it, these horrible, awful feelings. And I remember being very disappointed and frustrated and. I think my anger had started to come out at that point because I was very frustrated with, with how I was feeling and, and how this experience was affecting and impacting my life as well. And I think that can be really hard to take. I mean, I still sometimes get very frustrated by the grief experience. Mm. Um, the frustration is, it, is it's real. And I can really relate to you, Jo. I think we are quite similar by the sounds of it. Like yeah. I will have like bursts of grief and then – I have sometimes like weeks where I'm just powering through and it's almost like I'm slightly numb and I'm like, what's wrong with me? But, I'm but you just kind gonna... of judge yourself in those times, don't you? Yeah. You're like, am I not grieving yeah. properly? Yeah. Am I not yeah. sad enough? Should I be more sad? And like, I'm like, yeah. what, do I not care enough? Or like, why am I, I not feeling like super greasy? But then it will hit me. I'll have a little bomb, grief bomb, and then like carry on for a bit. And it sounds like we're quite similar like that. I think, yeah, it, it's tricky in that sense because you know what? The, the good when you're feeling good like it's so good <laughs> but when you get hit like I feel like I get hit hard quite hard yeah. um and yeah I guess you know I, I'm getting better at learning to embrace my grief 
a, a lot more as in I don't perhaps try to stifle those feelings of anger. Like I found anger a really weird emotion for me to have because I'm not typically an angry person. So I think for that first year, if someone said to me, you know, and because of course I was Googling all the days, this is great, I was going to be a great Greek student. Um, I was like, no, oh, I haven't had anger because, what I, you know, I'm grateful, I'm all these things. And then I realised like, no, I'm angry. Fucking <laughs> and I, pissed I, off. I find, yeah, totally. <laughs> and I, I really battle with, battle with that as an emotion. Whereas now I'm getting better at kind of verbalising to people and saying like, do you know what, I'm so fucking pissed off at the moment. Like I just, I want my husband here and whatever you're doing is not helping. Like I, but I need to run with this emotion now because the, the better I can embrace it and go with it, the more likely I'll probably come out of that emotion a little bit quicker or with a little bit more perspective afterwards too. So how I want to ask as well, because I know, you know, for me having a toddler and grieving, it's incredibly yeah. difficult, but you know, for Heidi, she's lost her dad as well, which is heartbreaking for you and for yeah. her. And how, how did you navigate, you know, the loss of Craig and being a mom and her losing her dad? Yeah. How did you yeah. explain that to her? Oh, like it's, um, you know, I thought, I thought watching my husband die and doing that was hard enough but I, I do think telling Heidi that her dad had died is probably one of the most brutal experiences I've, I've ever had and um, I guess to give a little bit more context around that so I think we were still in so much shock when Craig had died so I think he was pronounced you know dead at around 3.30 in the morning at that point and then police come along and then undertakers come along too for the police and I had spoken. So essentially they come to visit because it's an unexpected death. And the police woman who was with me was really beautiful and very kind and said to me, I'm aware that there's a young girl in the house. She said, do you think perhaps we should try and get Craig's body out before she wakes up? And, you know, you're going, I don't know what the right decision is here, but she's four years old. Yes. Okay, let's try and get Craig out before she wakes, which we were able to do so. Um, but when Heidi woke, I just knew that I was not, in the right state of mind to actually be relaying the information that Craig had died. Not that I knew how you best do that, but I, I'd, I'd had no preparation or anything to even really think how I would do that. So it was agreed that we would send Heidi off on her normal day. She was she had a kinder session that day, which would give me a chance to think what the fuck has happened here and how am I going to, to broach this with her. And so... I was lucky in that the person who was going to officiate the funeral for us actually came and visited me that day and, and brought out some information about how you tell a child that someone has died and had a quick scan through that and then soon, yeah, Heidi came home and I just remember feeling like sick to my stomach about what I was going to have to do, especially when you, you know, how innocent and beautiful like children are. They come back from the day of kinder, like, you know, bright and happy and you just realise you're about to absolutely, you know, smash their world up as well and, you know, take that little bit of innocence away from them. And so, yeah, I sat her down and had my sister with me and I just, yeah, remember, like, I guess the approach I was trying to take was to be really honest with her to a level that she could understand and, and try not to gloss over and say things like, you know, daddy has passed away or, 
or, you know, actually using concrete words that she could understand. And I just, yeah, said to her, I was like, Heidi, I've just got some really, really bad news. Yeah, Daddy's died and he won't be coming back to us. Like, yeah, he's, he's died and I just, I remember like, I, I could just, I still actually sense, I just felt like her little heart broke oh, in that moment and she just, yeah, started to cry and, um, you know, I just kind of held her and, you know, thinking, <laughs> like, how, how in amongst all of this have I had to land this job as well as in, in doing this to her? And it, it's been a really tough role to take on because I think, you know, how like complex we're finding grief as adults? Like, I just go, oh God, you know, Heidi's seven now and, if I find it hard and I find it complex, like what must her little body and brain and emotions be going through? And um, I feel a huge responsibility with her grief as in trying to navigate the best way to support her in that. I don't know a whole lot as to what the best thing is to do, but we are very open and honest with each other. And I guess about our feelings and emotions and I certainly feel like her grief is evolving as time goes on and um yeah it's it's been an interesting journey and one that I've certainly found very overwhelming and hard and I know particularly for those first couple of years I definitely struggled but I think Heidi was struggling too I think we had been you know we'd lost our anchor in the world we had lost that foundation of what our family was and um I think there was a sense of distrust from both of us of the world around us, but maybe even each other a little bit too. Like almost like we didn't know how to be a family, just the two of us. And that probably resulted in me drinking a lot of wine as a parent and doing crazy things like I took her off to Cambodia for eight weeks on what I call like an eat, pray, midlife crisis oh <laughs> experience. Like where I just uprooted my child for eight weeks and said, yeah, sure, I'll go traveling for like, you know, with a five-year-old for this period of time. I think yeah. potentially – Maybe I was a bit selfish in those first couple of years um, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. But I think last year, we I think things became a lot more stable between us. You know, we, we've got our own home now. She's at school with a lot more sort of routine and not a mum that's, you know, packing her off to go to action countries. Um, no more trips to and, Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll... She'll probably sit one in there at some point yeah. when we can ever leave the but country. She'll be well travelled, you know. That's a fantastic thing to to give your kids. Yeah, not many five year olds go to Cambodia no. backpacking for eight weeks. So exactly. <laughs> so you know, we like as I said, I think our relationship has become really strong and really tight. And I think our relationship has changed because I feel like we are mother and daughter. But I also kind of go we're like housemates, so we niggle at each other about being housemates. Where we're I best friends, we're a real emotional support to each other. And I think what always seems to be quite nice is that when I'm sort of struggling, Heidi seems to be quite good. And when she's struggling, I seem to be quite good. And um, look, I'm sure we feed off each other's emotions a lot, but I'm just really open with her about talking about Craig and um, talking about her feelings. And it is hard. I mean, I'm not sure she's actually got the um verbal capacity to sometimes say exactly what it is that she's feeling but I'm I'm getting better at recognizing the signs and um and also just you know being open to things like 
you know, they've got a school psychologist and some play-based therapy. You know, they ask me with Heidi White to participate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just, yeah, try, trying to nurture her in that. But it's certainly, yeah, it, it's been a very overwhelming and exhausting experience being um, a single mum. But, God, like I feel incredibly lucky for the kind of child that I have. And I'm incredibly grateful to be here to be able to parent her, even though it is, it is tough. We've we've spoken to quite a few people in the grief community that you know about about children's grief, and it sounds like you have done absolutely all of the right things, Joe. You sound like an incredible mum, and Heidi's so Thank lucky you. to have you. She'd be really proud of how you've dealt with the situation. You've been dealt some really really un you know unfair cards so but oh, yeah I, I admire you and how and how you've handled it and I think yeah Heidi is going to be a very strong little girl just like her mum. He is hoping he is hoping. Yeah and Joe, you've gone on to do some amazing things with your grief and and one of those things is the creation of your book which is titled grief a guided journal I guess it's more of a journal isn't it than, than a book but um can That's you tell correct. us more about it and you know where listeners can find it and a bit about yeah what what the journaling involves yeah absolutely so look I, I guess after you know I've always enjoyed writing but after Craig died I often find myself turning to notebooks and things to write down my thoughts though in all honesty I wish I'd written a lot more when those feelings were really raw and deep and um I found it was a really good way for me to get lots of you know, thoughts and feelings out no matter how bad those feelings were. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did find was that I was gifted a lot of like blank notebooks uh, by people, which was so gorgeous and generous. But I found blank pages really, really overwhelming because, you know, when maybe, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of death, where do you even start to, to unpack any of it? Um, yeah. it? It's so huge. It's so overwhelming and so... I think as time has gone on, I realised that there wasn't really anything out there that I guess was a resource for people to explore their own grief. So versus, you know, I'd read lots of, you know, advice or other people's experiences that nothing, you know, all of us are so different in the way that we grieve and we're all so different in what kind of loss that we've experienced. And I think I just wanted to put something out there that could be for the individual to explore their grief in whatever way they wanted to through their writing and so the journal has essentially been set up as in you know it's a notebook but there are various sections to it that will um, help people explore different kinds of emotions so things like you know who were you before you came to grief and you know we've talked a little bit about how much you've changed so it's a really interesting exercise to kind of look back and go what kind of person was I um you know how does anger impact you? You can look at things like there's loneliness or um, writing a letter to your deceased loved one about any regrets you perhaps might have. That's where Imogen would put in the flash mob. Um, yeah. <laughs> all, all those kinds of so there's kind of all these kind of like writing prompts that I've been really gentle with the person who is grieving, just to give them a safe space to to let it all out. And it, you know, I think we can certainly feel pretty silenced in our grief sometimes and. I think Imogen and Sally and, you know, for myself as well, I feel quite lucky that I guess perhaps I've got the confidence and the platforms to be able to share a bit about our grief. But certainly I know there's a lot of people that probably feel very silenced 
in it and perhaps can't share in more public forums. So I think this grief journal has been a way to have other people like let it all out in the safest space possible with no judgment, no um, positive platitudes or anything like that. So yeah, I, I you know put that together last year during COVID. So finally, something came out of me besides being upset or drinking copious amounts of wine. Um, and yeah, I'm really proud of how it's come together and the um, incredibly positive reaction that it's had. And so people can purchase that through my website, which is jobet.com.au. And, you know, it's become a really beautiful gift that others are gifting to people in their lives who they know have lost someone or is grieving. And it's been a really beautiful part of it too. It's such a great gift. And it's also, it in, yeah, an incredible resource for people to have to go to. And I love those journal prompts that you talk about. We have a Q&A going on our Instagram today, which is in what ways has grief changed you? So I guess it ties in with that, like who were you before and yeah. who are you now? And it's like, yeah, everybody's answers are just incredible. Like it changes you in so many ways. Some, you know, not so great, but a lot of really yeah. positive ones mm-hmm. that people can can be really proud about, I think, in the long run when you can reflect on those sort of things. On the changes. And yeah. and like you say, Joe, you don't know where to start when you want to write things down if you've just got a blank page. You know, where do you begin yeah. to articulate what mm-hmm. you've gone through? So your um, your journal is amazing in helping people to, you know, bring those feelings and thoughts to the fore, I think. You don't have to start at the beginning. Like if you're looking at a prompt that says who were you, you're saying, I can't bother dealing with that thing. I'd perhaps rather look at things like connection. So you can just skip ahead. There's no kind of formula to it either. Which is good because I think you need that sort of just to write what you feel in that moment, not necessarily yeah. go No judgment, something. just let it all flow. Let it all, let it all hang yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll link um, – We'll link to your website in our show notes and your Instagram so um, listeners can click through to buy the journal or also click through and follow you on Instagram. And last question from us, um, what key piece of advice would you give someone who's experiencing the death of a spouse? I think when it comes to the death of a spouse, and I was kind of thinking on this, and, you know, I think we can be so hard on ourselves through the grieving process as to whether we're doing it right or in the proper way. I know I certainly, um, you know, I was explaining earlier, I have either, you know, been hard on myself or felt frustrated. And I think one piece of advice I'd always think back to is you're doing the best that you can under incredibly difficult circumstances. And I think if you can kind of go back to that every now and then and just go, I'm doing the best that I can, then it's a nice little way to sort of support yourself in your grief at that time and I think you know for other people who have lost spouses I think it's really important to connect with others that are in similar situations I mean I'd love for you and um, Sally and Imogen is that you know you've both experienced a death of a mother um, that's something I can't fully connect with as I'm lucky enough to still have my mum so it's really nice that you can build that relationship with each other and I think it's equally important for people like myself to connect with others who are widows or widowers and I've done that through, you know, whether it's social media, um, there's Facebook groups, there's websites, um, but I think connection is really important because it can be so isolating um, and experienced already. So, yeah, it's important you can have people that are a little bit like-minded in an understanding of what you're going through. And I think my final piece of advice would just be around seeking support. I think 
when you really realize the gravity of what you've been through, and I know straight away after Craig had died, I just knew I was like, this is way bigger than anything that I can cope with on my own. And so I sought out different types of support for me and God, like I've tried everything. So, you know, just go for whatever it is that, that works for you. But, you know, if that's seeing a psychologist, if it's connecting with your GP to make sure that your health is okay, um, going to a kinesiologist, I think Imogen, you said you'd attend I've a I've done everything, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you literally know like a therapist yes. junkie over Reiki. here. Oh, doing it all. Oh, it's yes. expensive <laughs> grieving. Reiki. So expensive. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen the mediums. I've done the psychic. Oh, so yes. The <laughs> only one that I wouldn't do, someone mentioned it to me. They're like, um, have you thought about course therapy? And I was like, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. What's that? Like, not to say I think it's horse therapy. I think you go and you pat horses or something. Oh, <laughs> oh, said, oh, oh yeah, I've heard know. about that. <laughs> They're like horse psychologists or something, and you go and horse psychology, and you go and you really feel the horse. Yeah. For some reason of all things, that was the one that I bought. That were an oh no 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 anything else. I mean, like, no judgment on, to anyone out there that's out there patting <laughs> horses to make themselves feel like I'm sure if it helps you continue exactly. doing that. Exactly, <laughs> and I and I do think that I'm. I just always and support myself the best that I can and in three different ways like mentally emotionally and physically because I think with grief it's a bit of a three-pronged attack I think you know you can look after yourself mentally sometimes that might be suffering physically from grief or Mm. or vice versa so I just yeah always go try and support yourself in the best way and that you just you don't have to do it alone Definitely. And I think one thing that I've learned, Joe, and I imagine you're probably similar because we sound like we are quite similar in the way that we handle our grief is to really schedule in those periods of rest. I probably didn't do it before I lost my mum, but now I I mean, it's exhausting anyway. I think you feel tired a lot when you're grieving. You know, it's not the same as, you know, before. It's a different tiredness, isn't it? Yeah. But I definitely have to be really conscious of like, okay, I'm going into that busy overdrive now, which is my coping mechanism. So I really need to make sure I scale it back and just rest as well. Yes, absolutely. No, rest is a huge one. And as I said, I I never realised, you know, for anyone who is grieving, like how fatiguing grief is and, and you're oh, right the energy oh, <laughs> levels <laughs> so tiring. are not what they used to and even no. last night like really interesting I woke up at like 2am in the morning wide awake and then I'm awake for two hours you know I, I read and I probably get less stressed about it but um it's an awful side effect of you know of what grief is and so yeah we do have to be mindful of resting and being able to say the no, no to people as well when things are too much whether that's just cancelling a coffee catch-up or kind of going, no, actually, it won't be good for me to attend that event because I, I know for me, and I don't know whether you girls are saying, like, I go for dinner, I often pay for that the next day or two, just my energy level. So I'm, I'm very conscious about what, what I do and where I invest my energy and my time. Definitely can absolutely relate to that. And we actually put an Instagram post up today. It's like a, a little tweet that says I hate to cancel I know we made plans to get together tonight but that was two hours ago and I was younger then and full of hope and now I'm just tired and it's so bloody true isn't it so yeah, yeah. so true it is so true, true. sometimes you just got to use it as an excuse go sorry I'm grieving no, yeah. absolutely I, I used to be so bad at saying no to people I was like yeah yeah sure yeah yeah I'll do anything even I though know. I don't really want to and and now I'm kind of getting so much better at being like you know what no yeah, yeah. not today 
Not today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's some of the lessons you learn as well where you're just like, you know what, it's important to prioritise yourself and your energy and invest it where you most want to put that. Definitely. Joe, it has been such a pleasure to finally get to talk really to you has. and also to I've listen to your it. story. Thank you for sharing um, it with us. And it is such a heartbreaking but very inspiring story. Thank you, ladies. As I said, I feel like I could sit on here and talk to you for six hours straight. Um, <laughs> so good way. <laughs> but I have loved what you've been doing on your social media and the podcast. And I think it's that beautiful um know you 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 struck the chord of kind of using humor but at the same time talking about some really deep and complex issues and yes certainly I always gravitate to resources like that so I think you're doing an amazing job thank you Jo that's so kind of you we get to chat with amazing people like you so it's a nice thing to be doing so yeah thank you so much for your time and anytime speak to you again I'm sure sounds good ladies you have a good day thanks Jo you too I feel speechless. What a woman. She, do, you know, do you know what? I feel like doing this podcast where you're meeting so many amazing people. We really like, are. feel like friends for life. <laughs> Such I, a stalker creeper. Oh, my God. <laughs> absolutely would love to have a wine with Jo. Yeah. She is awesome and so bloody brave. And Let's hope these borders open up so we can go and meet up with all these amazing guests. Definitely. We can person. have a bereavement bender, as my husband calls it. Whoop, whoop. There you go. <laughs> oh, you've got your whoop in. Yeah, just had to. Wasn't going to be an episode without a whoop, whoop. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform you listen to and hop over to Instagram. If you don't already follow us, we're at Good Morning Podcast. We share lots of awesome content to help you guys, lots of griefy insights. And if you know someone who might benefit from listening to this podcast, please spread the word about Good Morning. 